2: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong for a super scintillating sensational edition of the show here. I am merely Mark Ellis, joined, as always, by my illustrious co-host, Jacqueline Coley, who, Jacqueline, we have breaking news here on the show as it pertains to your life. You recently found a gift card for the Outback Steakhouse. Worth a hundred dollars. Now, here's the question I have for you. Isn't there some law that was recently passed that like any gift card ever is now valid and there's no expiration date? This is true, but it's not retroactive.
0: And California was actually one of these places at four
2: because it used to be with gift cards
0: that they actually wanted you to, I think it's still the case. They want you to forget about them so that that's how they make their money off of gift cards. Like that's the whole point of gift cards is that hope that you lose it because they have this thing where they can like deduct money from it every year that it stays in use, a servicing fee, and so it eventually goes to zero. So I'm pretty sure that Outback, yeah, I'm pretty sure that, that Outback Steakhouse was already zero when that rule came into effect. Plus, since I got it, like as I was saying, for my high school graduation. <laughs> Which was a couple if years If I wanted ago. to go to Outback, I could.
2: Okay, well look, if you wanna take me to Black Angus instead, I've never been there, so I'm, I'm pretty, <laughs> amenable to whatever steakhouse you prefer. I'll go fancy. I'll do a Morton's. I can put on a dinner jacket for that. And the reason why I bring up the Outback or really any steak restaurant is that where do steaks come from? A lot of them come from the Midwest. And our story of the movie today takes place in Kansas, but it's Kansas by way of Krypton, the planet that uh, maybe it's too soon. It ain't there anymore. Sorry, it's it pulled an Alderaan and exploded, but before Krypton exploded, we got this Man of Steel guy that escaped as a baby, and that's the movie we're talking about, Man of Steel, the movie that sort of kicked off the DCEU, for better, for worse, directed by Zack Snyder, produced by some guy who knows his way around a superhero flick named Christopher Nolan, and, and Jacqueline, you know, everybody is, is slurping the Batman these days, and people are so excited about that character, but there's always been this chatter of, like, when are we going to get another Man of steel movie dc seems to have some good things going for it in 2022 so while we wait on official word of that in the meantime we do get to relive a movie that you know it it, it seemed like it was more divisive than it had to be at the time and so we put fresh eyes on it almost 10 years later yeah (laughs) did you feel exactly the same as you always had watching this movie absolutely i'm sorry
0: I feel so bad because I know how much people love this. I know I've given the DC a bad rap, but I went back and actually looked. I have had more fun with DC movies than not. I will say this, but this is not that movie.
2: OK, well, there's a lot of fans that I would imagine disagree with you. They wanted us to talk about this one way or the other. And a few of those illustrious names are Dave Horstman, Stephen Gilbo, Johan Gustafsson, Jacob Schroeder. Maybe Schrader, like the quarterback, and Landon Brown. And Landon actually wrote, I thoroughly believe the Rotten Tomatoes got it wrong with Man of Steel. Zack Snyder's more grounded take on Superman is what we needed. This more coming-of-age-like Superman shows what it would be like if the Man of Steel... Actually lives on our earth and does a fantastic job with it. It also dives in on the morale dilemma of one life versus many lives, and that being a superhero is not black and white. Sincerely, a DC fan. That is Landon, and Landon thinks that the tomato meter is wrong. Currently, 56% rotten. So it's oh so close to fresh. It's fresh adjacent, but Man of Steel is still rotten on the tomato meter. However, its audience score is a fresh 75%. And so with that, we welcome in our esteemed guest today who knows no introduction either on our show or at a local Outback Steakhouse. He's a host, critic, writer, and the chief executive officer of the Outlaw Nation outlet. He hosts some of the, some, many of the podcasts that he hosts. You got the Geek Buddies, Cinephiles, the Top 10 covering the worlds of film, TV, and entertainment, and he's also a pretty big sports honk, John Roca. The Outlaw is here with us. John, it is a pleasure to have you back on the show. Um, you and I are commanders. and Well, will be yourself, but yes, go we're, ahead. We're, <laughs> you, you are a commander. It's our favorite football team, regardless of how we feel about the name of the owner or the current quarterback. <laughs> Let's see if we can at least align forces here with Man of Steel. I ask you the question first. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Man of Steel with that 56% rotten? tomato meter score
3: well first thanks to you and jackie for having me back on i've always have a good time here and i'm excited to be back into a battle for the man of steel and absolutely rotten tomatoes is wrong 56 percent is an abhorrent score for such an incredible film that i dare say is more topical now considering all we've seen in our world and everything is happening in our world over the last few years than it was even back then and it was, it was so i would argue it's ahead of its time and people need to go back and rewatch this movie and reappreciate some of the things that Zack Snyder was trying to tell us
2: about our world and tell us about the experience of being an alien on this planet. All right. So how high up are you getting this? Movie? Are you getting this movie to like a territory? Is it oh, a B yeah. plus? Oh, for me, it's absolutely in the uh, B plus, A minus territory. Absolutely. Absolutely. Huh. All right, Jacqueline, uh, you now have the four Rotten Tomatoes. Feels like you agree with them. No, they're wrong. It should be lower. it
0: should be so much longer wow this is it's humorless and drab and i was excited when that planet blew up because i didn't want to be anywhere near it with their baby incubator pod it was just it's just so not the tea compared to like and I, i get it totally different thing can't do the same thing but compared to the hope that was inspired from the Donner Supermans to the gloom as we literally, and my dog chimes in, <laughs> mourn the Superman mythology throughout this movie. I, I just—it's almost as if I feel like Zack Snyder has never seen a rain-drenched superhero that he didn't want to frame <laughs> in some kind of melancholy. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, can we? This is the, the man that flies through like to buildings like why does it have to be such a downer and i say that as someone that watches downer movies all the time but maybe just not this Uh, yeah not about it it's not a wonder that the man's first movie was about a bunch of people being
2: murked well i mean it it sounds like jacqueline's dog agrees more with John Rocha, because your dog had some strong feelings about that. I will say this, hearing Jacqueline's description of Man of Steel, if you didn't say the title of the movie, I would have guessed you're talking about the most recent, The Batman. But we we tend to like the darkness. We tend to like the grittiness when it comes to Gotham City. But with Superman, since 1978, we've been sort of trained to look at that as hope and optimistic and yay, the best things of humanity and extraterrestrial. So I am going to have the scalding hot take of saying that Rotten Tomatoes is dead on. 56% is exactly where this movie belongs. John, I don't mind getting it up to fresh if if, if we really need to, but I can't put it past the mid-60s. Jacqueline, I have no problem saying that it's close to fresh, but it's not quite fresh for me. But we're going to get into all of that. We're going to get into the discussion. It seems like I'm going to be moderating. I'm going to be the, uh, the gym layer of this presidential debate. But before we get to all of that, we turn it over to our dear friend, Tim Ryan. He's our expert review curation manager here at Rotten Tomatoes. And he's going to tell us what the critics were saying at the time of Man of Steel's release way back when we were so young in 2013. It's two minutes with Tim time.
0: Two minutes
1: with Tim
2: can there be a gritty reboot of Superman? More to the
1: point, is it lightness, optimism, and good humor that makes Superman who he is? It's a question that critics considered while watching Man of Steel, which many felt had undeniably exciting action scenes, but too often succumbed to ponderousness. Man of Steel is rotten at 56% with 340 reviews, but it does have a 75% audience score. So what did the critics have to say? In a Rotten review, Chris Wagner of the Dallas Morning News wrote, the movie can't decide if it wants to be a particularly thoughtful brand of superhero saga or a deafeningly generic summer action movie. So it ends up being both, to the detriment of it and us. However, in a fresh review, Charlie McCollum of the San Jose Mercury News wrote, the result is a film that, while relentlessly grim and badly in need of humor, manages to be a smart, nuanced take on the Superman mythology. The Rotten Tomatoes Critics Consensus reads, Man of Steel's exhilarating action and spectacle can't fully overcome its detours into generic blockbuster territory. So that's Man of Steel. Let's kick it back to Jacqueline and Mark, who I have every reason to believe are big fans of truth, justice, and the American way. Back to you, folks.
2: Yeah, there was a whole lot of people saying a whole lot of stuff about Man of Steel then and now because it, it was a it financially successful. Still haven't gotten a sequel to it. We kind of got sort of more Superman with the B versus S and then with the Justice Leagues, but a lot of folks waiting for that proper Man of Steel sequel. So we'll talk about that. But before we get into speculating about the future, let's dive deep into Man of Steel warning spoilers of plenty coming up as usual on this show. Let's hit the movie talk music. All right, John. Well, we should probably start with this. So let's just take a wide view of the entire Superman lineage, starting with... I mean, we can go back to Steve Reeves if you want to, but I'm looking at Christopher Reeve. I'm um, going to give a shout out to Brandon Routh. Thought he was a fine Superman. Maybe not the best movie, but I liked him. And then we have Henry Cavill. Is Henry Cavill John Roca's favorite Superman?
3: Yes. Bar none. Bar none. Absolutely. He's the most representative of what Superman actually is. And for people who only grew up on the Donner Superman and never went backwards to study the history of Superman, he is the most representative of what Superman was and did and his progress and his journey. And remember, you know, I I hear Jackie's point. I think Jackie's point is a valid point. A lot of people love those Richard Donner Superman. Certainly, I love the Richard. I just bought them in 4K. They're fantastic. They're inspirational. They're hopeful. Three and four, the less said about them, the better. But You have to remember the time when that was coming out. We are coming out of Vietnam. It's what, 1978, Star Wars as well as around this same time. It's about hope. It's about getting people to believe in humanity again, getting to believe that we can be good again, that we want to overcome this stuff right before we get into the me generation of the 80s. This Superman, Henry Cavill, this is the more accurate representation of who we are as a society now. All of us deal with the darkness. All of us deal with feeling excluded. All of us deal with trying to discover our own path, our own way to the light, and I would say it's one of the most uplifting films about Superman, one of the most inspirational films and realistic films about finding your way to an inspirational place in your life. And so uh, that's uh, why I think Cavill does his his acting, his performance, his moments with uh, Amy Adams, his moments with his mom, with his dad, especially with Kevin Costner. My God, there's some beautiful moments there, and his moments with his mom later on with Diane Lane, Diane Lane doing incredible work there as well. There's so much to savor and enjoy from Henry Cavill's performance. And Christopher Reeve, a decent actor, but I think Cabell's a bit more... Um how can I say this? A bit more. He's got a bit more rage. So
2: a decent actor. The guy went to Juilliard. He hung out with Robert uh, Williams for crying out loud. Um, <laughs> you know, Jack. When it is interesting to think about like the product of the times, but then I also look at Superman as a character who elevates above that and will take. If we're going through a grunge era, we're going through a war torn era. We're coming out of a uh, some decade where it was all about selfishness and greed. Don't you? I, I feel like Superman is like, no, this is what I represent, and I'm going to make you folks come to me. I'm not coming down to your level and dealing with whatever crap you just went through for the last 10 years. It's a it's a mix of both, but I think that a lot of folks were maybe left cold by Henry Cavill's Superman just because they look to the most optimistic of the superheroes like a Christopher Reeve Superman. So I'm guessing you're a Christopher Reeve gal.
0: Yeah, I'm a Christopher Reeve guy, but honestly, I'm really a George Reeves guy. I'm <laughs> being completely honest. Like it was funny that. the only reason why I balked at what uh, John said about Henry Cavill is not because of that. I actually like Henry Cavill as Superman. I think he embodies the physicality of it, the sort of boyish charm of it. It's also the reason why I think Andrew Garfield was a great Spider-Man because that sort of like quippy but thoughtful thing is part of who he is and so it radiates through the character. But actually, yeah, George Reeves, who actually hated playing Superman. Yeah. And like, you know, if you want to watch Land, he really sort of despised it because it really was just a children's show at that time. But he, you know... When I think of Superman, I still think of that sort of like, you know, underwear over the tights Superman, and he embodies that for me. My big problem with Man of Steel actually has very little to do with Henry Cavill and much more to do with Zim Snider. I'm not saying his name because the internet will find me. Um, yeah, I just, it, it's, there's incredible moments, you're right, with Diane uh, Lane and incredible moments with Kevin Costner that bus scene you know the the him dying scene is absolutely moving and gripping his stuff with lois is also the only i feel like tongue-in-cheek aspect of the movie happens between her and cavill as they play their sort of like well what do you think you are and who do you think you are and all of those sort of other aspects and elements but it's just joyless He should be saving the world. And there's no joy in that prospect. I I think that
2: we, I think we're all in the same I'm a Christopher Reeve guy uh, for the record. I think Cavill's great though. I think we can all agree that, that that he is not responsible for any of the faults that we might find with man of steel. The, the thing that we all can find common ground on here is that as the movie starts out, we do get this exciting sequence on Krypton where it's lateral. I mean, you talk about getting out in the nick of time, Russell Crowe, is Jor-El. He knows that his planet is doomed. He's challenging Zod, who's taking control of the entire planet. And they just kind of like did what we are doing very slowly on Earth. They did it very quickly, where it's just, you just kind of harvest all the resources, then kaboom. But we get Kal-El out in time. And so he's on this ship, then he lands on Earth. Once he's in Kansas, I think those are the strongest scenes in, in the movie, because Kevin Costner and Diane Lane are just such powerful parents who just have that Midwestern tough, farmer, work ethic, discipline, but they're also compassionate. They also found this thing and they feel like this thing was put in their lives for a reason. The Pa Kent stuff, interacting with his kid, I mean, it, it can almost bring you to tears on the level of A Field of Dreams, another great Midwestern corn movie starring Kevin Costner. And so those are really the highlights for me, John, where I feel like this movie left me cold and why I'm okay with it staying rotten is that I never felt like it, shifted into third gear. I thought the action scenes... While it's thrilling to look at how realistic we've come, we've come for flying technology and like making these scenes feel like they're actually happening. They felt very repetitive and boring. It was Superman getting angry, flying fast into somebody, and I just felt like we kept seeing that through the rest of the movie. Am I am I way off base here? Well, you know, when you go back to the
3: first year of the schmoes, no, Mark Ellis is not who you see now. Hey, Mark <laughs> Ellis is a very uh, you know professional, <laughs> polished host now. But if you go back to those first years of of, of Mark Ellis, they weren't that great. He was doing the same thing over and over again, repeating some of the stuff. This is what you see. This is a Superman who is still in the first place fight of his entire life and it's against a fellow Kryptonian. So he's going to be messy. He's going to, you know, be uh, inexperienced. He's going to keep repeating the same things uh, uh, like you do when you play a video game sometimes. You keep, oh, I found a move that works. I'm just going to keep using that move until they counter <laughs> it. That's how he's doing. He's figuring it out on the fly. You know, and I saw some of these same criticisms with the Batman recently. It's year two. How good were you on your second year at the job? It's not an easy job to be a superhero. There's a lot of things that are involved in it. And he's fighting a guy who is more seasoned, more mil. He's got better military tactics, more experienced, all these kinds of things. So he is having to mess. He's having to kind of rely on the foot, do troubleshooting fighting at the same time. So you are going to see some things that are repetitive, but that moment when he walks out of the Fortress of Solitude, that cape is billowing and that light's behind him and that Hans Zimmer score hits and he you hear uh, uh, Jor-El's voices in his, voice in his ear and he flies for the first time. It's amazing. And there's a tongue-in-cheek moment because he hits the thing because he can't quite fly yet. He has to figure it out. So I think there's so much here that you have to put in context. This is a new Superman, his first time donning the cape, doing all the things that he's doing. So if you can put that in context, you can understand why he is a bit repetitive or makes some mistakes, or it seems a bit like it's, it's, you're seeing the same thing over and over again. And I think it actually kind of works and helps you to connect with the character more because all of us have tried to do something that we were eventually good at. We just had to stumble through the first few times of doing it until we figured it out. <laughs>
0: Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com
1: slash Wondery.
2: That's an excellent point that Roka's making here, Jacqueline. I guess my counter to it would be that I also never felt while watching this person find their footing like Bambi walking on the ice for the first time, <laughs> you also, it's the first time in history Superman's been compared to Bambi. You also it never, at least for me, my emotions were never moved as much as they were when he's interacting with his adopted parents on Earth. It just, I think emotionally, the rest of the movie just felt a little stifled to me. Did you pick up on any of that?
0: Yeah, I did. I also picked up on the subtle amount of shade that John gave you during his breakdown. And I don't want to like push over that (laughs) because (laughs) that is schmodown, ladies and gentlemen. They will make their point, but find a way to like, I don't know, embody their heel status, John. That's chef kiss sir it was one of the so subtle. Why
2: john is one yeah. of the best we've ever had in that
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah i mean look the, the idling and gear thing that you talk about um the only thing that i can think of in pop culture that similarly reminds me of this phenomenon is every song by the mumford and sons every song by the mumford and sons feels like a preamble <laughs> to a better song they didn't write uh. everything about man of steel is like a preamble to like, and then when we finally get to going, you know, when they're finally getting it, it feels so to John's point, to your point, haphazard and messy and not even the like, it's sort of like, even if you hated The Last Jedi, when yeah. Ray and emo Kylo turn backs and they're like going at it, we are all there because they geared up to a moment that we could all get behind and they just don't do that in this movie. And that is a problem for a movie where you're supposed to be, the, the idea of a superhero is this global idea of someone you have to root for because they're saving the world, right? They're saving the world. You have to root for him. Zack Snyder pulled the greatest magic trick in the world because he had somebody save the world where we have no choice but to look at him like, why? Why did you do it like that? And that is not a good way to be. And then he made an entire sequel dissecting this weird taste that he left in everyone's mouth.
3: Yeah, I I, I won't disagree with Jackie on the sequel. I did not. I'm not a (laughs) BBS person, whether ultimate cut or regular cut. I am not a BBS person. You're not. I love this movie, but I love this movie.
0: Yeah. And well, was, I don't okay, hate this but, movie. It's, just, right, right. Not it's so, just not a good one. It's just not a good one.
2: I'm finding myself right in between you all again because I'm, I'm not the biggest Batman versus Superman defender. We had a great chat with Mike Kalinowski about it, oh, I, I think, okay. last year. But what I loved about B versus S, and my favorite sequence possibly in Batman versus Superman is when we get the fight that is Superman and Zod, the climax of Man of Steel, but we get to see it from the perspective of the boots on the ground Bruce Wayne and he's running towards dangers. Everybody else is running away from it. That was the most thrilling sequence of Batman v Superman, which is interesting because I felt like that whole thing just, again, left me out in the cold a little bit. But there was a moment, if you want to talk about uh, The Last Jedi with them going back to back and taking on a bunch of Praetorian guards, it's a great moment. There's a moment that I think was a risk, and I like that they took the risk. I'm just wondering how we feel about it almost a decade later, John. And I think you know what I'm getting to. This is a Superman. Man that will snap a neck if needed. And so he finds himself in the impossible position of either having to go against what his, like you said, brand new, I guess, vow is that he's not going to kill anyone, but Zod is threatening the entire world. So maybe one neck snapped isn't all that bad. I had no problem with it because the movie did set up what those stakes are. Your take on it then and now? Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was gutsy. I thought it was uh,
3: something we obviously something we had not seen on screen before from Superman. I thought it was realistic for what's going on in our world and how we deal with tyrants or wannabe tyrants, how we deal with these people who have no value for human life and are willing to risk any human life to achieve their idea of ethnic superiority. That's was in essence who Zod represents. He's essentially a supremacist. Pick your race. He's essentially a supremacist who believes that Kryptonians and only the high end Kryptonians are allowed to live. Remember that Jor-El says to him, who's going to pick the bloodline that lives in your in your uh, scenario? Do you get to pick him? And he's a general so he's a military guy. So in his eyes, it's even worse The the bloodlines that he wants to pick to survive. It would turn them into a militaristic people. That's what he wants here. So with with the situation when he's coming down to this battle and he's look, he's he's overmatched. He's inexperienced. And remember, he just finished like fighting off the world engine. So he's supremely exhausted. And now he's fighting a guy who is fresh, who is was uh, taking, a, uh, taking him to task. And he's in this moment and he makes a very powerful decision to kill Zod, to snap his neck because he's going to kill that family. And Zod has said over and over again, I'm going to kill everybody on this planet. The world engine was essentially terraforming the whole planet. So everybody dies. So he can put, he can put essentially new Krypton on earth. Uh, populated by the people he believes should be populated. So there is so much happening here in context that when he makes this decision, it's not a decision he takes, he does lightly. And when he kills him, he's in essence killing the last connection to Krypton that he has, the last connection to his father, because Azad knew his father. It's there's so much weight here. Remember, the codex is still in him. So essentially for the Kryptonians, he's killing him. And in that moment, he releases the scream. And it's the scream of the death of Jor-El, the death of his dad, of Kevin Costner, his father, Jonathan Kent, and the death here of his last connection to his planet. And so there's so much weight here. So I think there's it's, it's so well built to this moment. And by the way, for you su- Superman, you know, uh, uh, hardcore people, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster, Had Superman killed back in the 30s, 40s and 50s, he only stopped killing in the 60s and 70s. Oh, what was going on in the world in the 60s and 70s? And then and then throughout and then then in the 80s and 90s, he's killed as well. Doomsday, the the death of Superman, he kills doomsday. So this idea of self-defense killing, this is what this is. That's what he does in this moment. So I've always been like blown away by the people who have no knowledge of the Superman history, that it's not something that's been there since the beginning that he doesn't kill. He kills in certain situations for self-defense or for a bigger reason. He has done so in the comics. This was just the first time we saw him do it on screen. And I thought it was handled incredibly well by Zack Snyder and by uh, David Goyer, who wrote the script.
2: And I could I could point to many instances in Batman films where it's like, if you would just kill this guy, things would be a lot easier for us. And so I'm all for superheroes killing. I look at superheroes killing especially like the more noble ones, like we know what Punisher is about. But if you're talking about Batman or Superman, I think them killing is kind of like me eating a hot dog after I go to the gym. Is it the most ideal protein? No. (laughs) Is it what I want to have? No. But occasionally, if that's all you can grab before you go to your next assignment, I got to get the protein somehow. I'm going to eat a hot dog. That was seeing Superman eat a hot dog. Jacqueline, when you see that moment, does that make the movie better? or worse in your eyes? Or were you just checked out by that point that Zod's neck got checked out?
0: Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) I have to be really clear about this movie. I went back to rewatch it twice. This time, it took me four times the first time to watch it because it's so interesting that you guys, I don't know which one of you said, I think it was maybe Mark, maybe John, that opening thrilling moment in Krypton, yeah. what movie were y'all watching? I love that Because that point yeah. was boring until they all died. It was just so <laughs> much exposition and baby fetuses. Like, no, no. A lot of it was like, I will say this, Russell Crowe gives great VO. Not going to pretend that he doesn't. His yeah. VO is fire in that moment. It was one of the biggest regrets I have from the failed dark universe that we had with Tom Cruise was that... Dr. Jekyll that that Russell Crowe is because if you look at his filmography, he is both. He is Preach the it. weird guy from Virtuosity and he is Cinderella Man. He yeah. is, you know, a beautiful mind. Literally, the reason why he won the Oscar is the duality of that. The guilelessness of him as a mathematician to like the dangerousness of him as he starts to go insane. Anyway, I think the end moment where he snaps on neck, I, I got all of the stuff that Zack Snyder was trying to allude to. It is very... Shakespearean, you know, you kill the detractor and all of that. I would just say that Zack Snyder has the visual ambitions to back, he has the visual effort to back up his aspirations. He does not sometimes take the same care with dialogue, continuity and plotting. So visually he can communicate so much with score and sound and images. And really, I think sort of drive home these incredible conflicts within these characters. But then he writes things that I'm like, son, you know what I mean? Like the words do matter. Mm. And I'm not sure if the same care has been given to that for saying less, for saying and showing less Mm. to illustrate more. That's That's what it is. That's the problem with this movie.
2: You bring up because, John, if if we talk about Zack Snyder and and Goyer helping write Goyer the screenplay, the yeah, yeah, no yeah. one producing where in, in your eyes does this movie succeed because of them? What is it about Zack Snyder that made this movie an elevated treatise on Superman that you responded to so well?
3: I think if you're the son of immigrants, if you're um, an immigrant to this country in any way, shape or form. This is the Superman for you. His entire experience. And that's why I connect to it so viscerally as the son of immigrants. His entire experience can be completely connected to the stuff that immigrants go through in this country, to the stuff that to feeling out of place, to feeling like you have something that someone else doesn't have that makes you different and how to embrace that. When you've been made fun of for your accent, made fun of for where you came from, you hear the jokes throw, thrown in as an aside in the conversation, all these things you see as he progresses through the situation. And you also understand how, uh, why pa- Mom, and Pa Kent are so scared to have the government find this guy or to have anybody find out about this guy because they could look, they could actually imprison him, test him, check him. Or anything else. And we've seen that happen with people coming over to this country. They get vilified by political parties for their own purposes. And so, why wouldn't an alien from another planet suffer the same fate? So, throughout when people are like, oh, it's not hopeful, it's not hopeful, it's real. And this is, you wanted a real Batman and you got Nolan's real Batman. Why are you so adverse to a real Superman and what he's going through as an illegal alien in every sense of the word to this country? You know, there were no papers. It wasn't like he didn't go through the system. He landed on this planet. And so he's got to figure it out. And I think that really connects to me as we go along. And he's got this power that he does not want to use. Right. And he has those moments when the bullies are coming after him and he's there uh, against the fence. You see when he moves off the fence after he hasn't struck that kid, how he's crunched the. the fence post there because he wants to. And even that controversial moment where it's decided between saving the children in the bus or not saving the children in the bus, the conversation he has with his father. I know a lot of people get upset about that, but Jonathan Kent is scared that his son is going to get found out. And it's a natural, honest scare that you can believe. and And I think that's where some people have an issue with this film is that it's Too realistic versus aspirational, which I absolutely understand. You want your Superman the way you want your Superman. But I think him telling the story here through the prism of an illegal immigrant or an immigrant to this country, I think, is a is why it works for me so well. And what I think Goyer and Zack Snyder got so
2: well in this movie. You won't get an argument from me with really any of the stuff that takes place in Smallville, just because I thought it was so well done. I I could clearly connect with that emotional core i guess of of you know Pot Kent wanting to keep this a secret but also acknowledging that his son does have a good heart and he's going to want to use his powers for good, even though you know you, you may not want to reveal what your actual abilities are because there's a lot of people that are going to be very interested in doing a lot of those ET experiments on you. And so Kevin Costner, Diane Lane, the two, maybe the biggest two highlights of the movie for me. I wasn't as enthused, Jacqueline, with the Superman-Lois Lane relationship. I, I didn't get as much out of that as, as I was hoping for. And I thought Amy Adams is terrific. I like that this is like a a more intrepid... Badass, I'm not messing around. I'm going to ask the tough questions, kind of Lois Lane. But maybe did that stifle the relationship, I guess, that we were expecting maybe because we're coming off of Margot Kidder and Kate Bosworth as the character on the big screen?
0: Don't disagree with you on that. But also, I would say that although I believe Amy and Henry have chemistry together, it is not the chemistry that you need there's an animation of um superman where lois dies and i forget which one it is i want to say it's one of the it's one of the justice league darks i think mm-hmm. when when lois dies and and somebody killed her, or whatever it doesn't matter in that animation the two animated characters every time they were on screen i was like oh yeah these two and they were animated and you never felt that with them that's why like in the sequel when we have like bathtub moment, there's this, is bathtub this one or next one? Bathtub is next one, right, right? The bathtub is Batman V Superman. That's right, the next one, sorry. I was, yeah. I was like getting a little bit confused in my head, but I was like, that wasn't this one. Also because there's an extended cut of that one, which makes it even crazy, even <laughs> crazier. But anyway. The water this, got
2: cold by the end of that cut.
0: <laughs> yeah, it never works. It doesn't work when you think about them being sexual. It works when you think about them bantering like they are across the table in that moment. That's where their chemistry lies. But the minute you try to make them a couple where you're like, these two want to rip each other's clothes off, very, you know, Elizabeth and Darcy and Pride and Prejudice, like there's a tension and a flirtation between them, that tension and flirtation is missing. So they do have chemistry, but the tension and flirtation of like, oh, he's behind a mask and maybe she's behind one too. And once they rip off their mask, they're going to have a great moment together. It's missing.
2: John, how do I ask this judiciously? Is, is this because you are operating off the premise that, look, we're experiencing Superman as he is learning about Earth. So he's learning about uh, he, how how mankind works. He, he's learning about the way that our planet is structured, the powers that be. But he's also learning about relationships. So are you going to say that this is kind of like he is the seventh grader trying to date the, the the senior, the high school senior, where she just knows so much more about not just the world that she lives on, but also relationships relationships and having these feelings and and processing all of that stuff in a healthy way is that why maybe the relationship didn't blossom as much as we had seen previously no i think that's an excellent point and jackie makes excellent points here this is one criticism
3: that i do agree with which is what keeps it from being a full a movie for me is i think amy adams is good as lois lane i think henry cavill is great as superman but I agree that you don't sense that chemistry between them. And I, and I wish we'd gotten the seventh grader fumbling around being clumsy and awkward. He's way too confident. In this situation, in a way that he's not, when he dons Superman costume and fights Zod, he's way more, it's more of a smirky kind of, hey, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And it feels a little weird. Whereas the Christopher Reeve is so endearing that version with Margot Kidder, because he's awkward. He really does care about her. And she is discovering her feelings for him and doesn't know how to navigate that because she's a woman of steel to have all of a sudden a little softness come in. It's kind of, unsettling for her a little bit. So you go along and it's so believable and they go on the flight. That's great. We don't get this from this is more of a a, I wouldn't say loveless, but there's a passionless uh, connection between them uh, when you see the movie. And I think, again, Amy Adams is great as Lois Lane. And I think as it progresses, it gets better because Zack Snyder's Justice League, that moment where he comes back to life and they have that moment in the field. That really works. So I don't know how it worked in that version of it, but it didn't quite 100% get there here. And yes, you can say, oh, they just made it. It's kind, of, it's kind of new. But because it's new, there should be a little bit more of those scenes where he's kind of clumsy or awkward or and she's the same way so that they stumble into it. And it would have been a great way to humanize him. In a way that we would have connected even more and appreciated what Henry Cavill was doing with the role because Margot Kidder is great in Superman, but because of her performance and all of that. But it's also because we see Superman through her eyes and that lets us care about him even more. And that's missing here in this movie, um, unfortunately.
2: If, if I'm yeah. Lois's friend in this movie, I am telling her run from the hills. Because look, <laughs> if this guy is just now getting used to how humans work and he's sort of a babe in the woods when it comes to relationship, maybe yeah. in the bedroom, this is an alien with untold power. I don't want to be the first human that he has bedroom fun time with because I don't know if I'm surviving. Is that fair to say that <laughs> we just do not know what this man is capable of? In the bedroom, and I do not want to be the guinea pig. Now you're talking my super ex-girlfriend. Now you're talking
0: my super ex-girlfriend. Honestly, there's a there's a Seinfeld bit about Superman not being inherently good at comedy. <laughs> I think there might be similar aspects to this.
3: Mm.
0: And I don't want to extrapolate this too deep because we're trying to keep our G rating on the podcast suite. But listen, I don't know if it's sort of like I don't know if The Flash is a good lay either, because I feel like if you don't have to work that hard, it doesn't make you better.
2: Mm. Um, yeah, but I mean, The Flash can be fast when he wants to. Um, I, I just, but he doesn't have to be. I, I just don't know, like, well, we can We can all admit the worst superhero you could possibly lay with in the biblical sense would be the Incredible Hulk, because that heart rate gets up there, <laughs> and, and oh, then yeah. the next thing you know, you're toast. But I would with, say with Superman, She-Hulk.
0: I would say I, She-Hulk. I would worry. Because with the Hulk. Incredible Hulk... Although both are as, as bad. Yeah. You might still have all of your appendages out. Like the woman can just like hop off and run. Like, whereas in with a dude, she may <laughs> clamp down and that's the end of
2: that. And she's a lawyer. So I, I don't want to get on the, uh, seriously. Uh, I'm to get on the wrong side of that. Um, the producer Lucy chimes in that wondering about Kryptonians and and if they make their love in the same way that humans do I don't, I don't think they lay eggs you know I I, I think that they're um I, I think that they're pretty much the same way as us but that's neither here nor there maybe somebody can explain that in a production down the street in Van Nuys are, are we past the point of no return here Jacqueline and be, because you're more negative on this movie than John is I want to get your take first do we bother making another Man of Steel movie with Henry Cavill or do you think that we just blow this thing up completely and we just figure out a new way to do Superman for whatever the future is going to be we got a new Aquaman movie coming out the first one did over a billion dollars it seems like Wonder Woman even though 1984 wasn't that great still has a chance to continue on being a leader in this universe what do we do with Supes
0: I I don't think that this is what Warner Brothers will do because I think um, that's just not their way. That's not the way of most studios anyway to be so, I would say talent driven in this respect but I think we should ask Henry Cavill what he wants to do. Like in all honesty he's earned the right I think if he wants to continue playing the character and he feels that there's a story that he wants to continue to tell within this universe he should be given that opportunity. That being said, I think he's really happy doing The Witcher Um, He has reached a similar level of fame doing that as he did for Superman. And we're getting to the point now where he might be able to put that to bed and not feel like it diminished him. Does that make sense? And and if that does happen, I kind of think he should. Like if he's able to put Superman to bed and, and put the tights to bed and not have it do anything negative to him and the fact that he's in a globally recognized TV show that everybody loves and he's continuing to do good work, You know what? I'd rather, you know, it's even less likely to happen, but I'd rather get a man from uncle sequel before I would say, let's do another Superman movie. Uh, I think Tom Holland shows that if you take care to cast the right character, you find the right story. Doesn't matter how quick it is.
2: I think it, a few years ago, John, it seemed like Henry Cavill was dying to get back to play yeah. Superman one more time. Yeah. And, and now I kind of look at him and his career with Superman, kind of like Steph Curry with his career with the Warriors, where if he can win another championship, great. He'd love to. It's not going to be necessary for his resume or for his personal satisfaction anymore. Like he's not going to walk around sad and moping the rest of his life because he never got to play Superman again. Having said that, I still think he wants to, John. Will we see Henry Cavill back as the Man of Steel?
3: Look, I said years ago we weren't going to see Affleck back, and I I was almost right until they did the Flashpoint situation. So I'm excited to see him dawn in the cape again, see what that's all about. But I do believe that it would take an incredible miracle for him to come back as Mm. Superman. I do believe Warner Brothers wants to move on from the Zack Snyder-verse as strongly as possible. Their inability to promote his Blu-ray release of Zack Snyder just speaks volumes. They have another avenue they want. to, And look, they're walking it. Well, you can't argue that they're making mistakes here. I love that they're becoming more diverse. This is where they want to explore. And I think they want to go with a younger Superman. I think they want to start this all over again. And maybe they'll keep, obviously, Gal Gadot. They'll keep um, uh, Ezra Miller. They'll keep uh, uh, Jason Momoa. But I think they're going to move on to another place here and find another Superman that fits. And opening up multiverse means you can bring in another Superman. So to me, I think that's what they're eventually going to do. Cavill has made it very clear that he wants to come back. He's taking little Instagram photos with himself next to the Cape. I think last year he did one of those. So he knows people want him back. And he was very supportive of Zack Snyder's Justice League coming out. So he's very proud of what he did with this. I don't think he's uh, neg- feels negatively about this at all. And he's made it very clear in numerous interviews that he doesn't and that he loved playing Superman. So if they were to bring him back, I think now what Jackie points out is excellent. He's moved on from the character and established his own success. So for me, I think Cavill has a stronger negotiating place to be at now. If he was to come back, the script's got to really work. The characters have to really work, and it has to make sense for him to don the capes, cape again and take the abuse that he's going to take. Because remember how people remember? People remember went after him over that mustache thing. That wasn't even his fault on on that justice that justice, justice League thing. So. It's it's a tough character to embody because people are going to judge it harshly. I say it's harder to cast Superman than it is Batman. That's my honest belief that it's harder to cast Superman than it is Batman because people's expectations are sky high for Superman. And you don't have a mask to hide behind. And I think there's the difference on so many levels.
2: I, I still Don't wish disagree. that we got uh, as, as great as Christopher Reeve is. It, it, if I could get to my alternate universe of seeing like a, a different casting decision in the history of cinema, mm. I might take Christopher Walken as Superman because he, he <laughs> was a finalist back in 78. Christopher Walken could have been our very first big screen Lowless. Superman. Lowest. Yeah. I'll okay. also give a, a shout out to uh, I, I can fly and I'll, I'll give a shout out to uh Dean Cain and Tom Welling, too, and uh, everybody else who played George Reeves, who played Superman on the small screen. Did you know, John, that you compared the destruction of Metropolis, a little bit spill over into Gotham, just a bit, uh, in Man of Steel with the battle for New York and Avengers? It's been estimated that (laughs) the battle between Superman and Zod, the bulk of which took place in downtown Metropolis, costs. Anywhere between $700 billion to $2 trillion wow. worth of damage, which is roughly five times how much the Battle of New York would have cost. So you don't want to ask Michael Keaton's vulture about what the emotional cost of that battle was. But as far as just pure dollars that it's going to cost the city to repair all this, $2 trillion is your cap for when Zod visited. So I it, it, I do think that in retrospect, very, very wise decision on Clark slash Soup slash kal part to go ahead and snap Zod's neck. Um, where does this movie rank for you? As we, as we say, uh, good night here on Movie Talk before we get to a very good mailbag from Philip Calderon today. Jacqueline, you first, where does this movie rank for you in the DCU? And by me asking that, I really just want to know what's your favorite DCU movie? Because it doesn't sound like it's this one. <laughs>
0: It's definitely bottom tier. I think I would say that my favorite DCEU movie, it might be Aquaman.
2: Oh, God. Did over a billion dollars worth of business. John's not happy. I really enjoyed
0: watching Aquaman. I was not bored. It's not a good movie, but I had fun with it. And so I enjoyed it. I also enjoyed Wonder Woman, not as much as others.
2: I would take Uh, Wonder Woman probably as my top.
0: And I really liked the Batman, the new one. So those are my top three, I think. And everything else is very, very far down.
2: All right, John, you, yeah. uh, you, I'll, I'll put Joker getting beat up by those Wall Street ruffians in, in this as well. Yeah. Where is Man of Steel for you in your rating of really any DC movie that's come out since 2013?
3: Uh, it's number one. Number one for me, absolutely. Man of Steel. Batman is still too new. I've seen it three times now, the Batman, but it's still a little new before where I want to put it. Um, And it's a little unfair to compare because it's a completely different world that they're creating there. But uh, I would definitely say it's uh, Man of Steel, number one. Um, uh, I don't want to do this, but it's my own personal list. Zack Snyder Just League number two and then Wonder Woman number three. It was one to Wonder Woman there, too. And the only reason is because Zach, the Man of Steel just appeals to me and speaks to me in so many ways as a man. To be honest, it's a gender thing. As a man, I find a lot to connect to, especially as I get older with a number of the characters in Man of Steel. And Wonder, but Wonder Woman is an excellent, excellent film. Uh, there are just a couple of moments that I don't find as inspirational as other people do. But overall, it's a great film. And then Zack Snyder's Justice League. I just think what he was able to accomplish in those four hours is incredible, which is why I moved it up to number two now. But yeah, that's my one, two, three. Aquaman is somewhere near swimming near the bottom, to be honest. <laughs> it was, it was. I mean, I got in so much trouble for that, but I, I tweeted out that it's a paint-by-numbers movie. And it's a, a disappointment from James Wan. But I meant it. And every time I've watched it since. It's ridiculous. I mean, Hera should have uh, was it Hera? Mar- yeah, whatever her name is. She she's the one that should have absolutely been leading Atlantis. She leaves the dope around for the whole two and a half hours before he finally figures out he should do something. So to me, I have a problem with that movie
2: because of Hey, that. we got to see Dolph Lundgren as a merfolk <laughs> case closed. But I I'm going to give it you're you're Wonder right. Woman is my top. But if you ask me, hey, Mark, I can give you a Zack Snyder sequel to Man of Steel. I'm going to say I'll take it right after he gives me the deserved sequel to the Owls of Gahul movie. That's the movie (laughs) that deserves a sequel, that deserves a franchise. Talking owls in action? Are you kidding me? It's my favorite Zack Snyder movie. At least it was until I found out that he also directed the music video for Soul Asylum's Somebody to Shove way back in the early 90s. That was Zack Snyder directing it. I remember it. It was an MTV buzz clip. I saw Soul Asylum live. Great band. Great video. Thank you, Mr. Snyder. And thank you, John Roca. We're going to hear a little more from you in just a sec. But right now, let's cue the music for Mailbag. And as promised, our esteemed member of the Ketchup Crew today is Philip Calderon. Says, my name is Philip Calderon. One of the movies that I adored so much during my early teenage years has been The Hobbit Trilogy. The reason why I think we need to have a conversation about The Hobbit Trilogy is because of the different reactions from the Middle-earth fandom of the love and hate to the three movies. Personal ratings for each movie would be a 72% certified fresh for An Unexpected Journey, a 74% certified fresh for The Desolation of Smaug, and 65% fresh for The Battle of the Five Armies. Think about this when you get a chance. Well, we certainly will. Thank you, Philip Calderon. I think that those movies are begging. They are fodder for a future episode Of Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. Be careful, all you folks in Duckburg. When you're swimming in your gold coins, there may be a giant dragon sleeping just below the surface. John Rocha, thank you so much for joining us here today. You're always a friend of the show. Um, don't be a stranger here, and let us know. I know you have so much content that you have right yeah. now with your new setup. You got a new uh, face serum that it looks like it's working <laughs> wonders for you. So, what what are all the shows you're working on? Give us a couple of it. Where can everybody out there find you?
3: Well, you can always find me at The Roca says on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, the Outlaw Nation on Twitch. I'm doing more and more stuff on Twitch, so come and find me there. And then my uh, Outlaw Nation outlet is uh, YouTube.com. Slash John Rocha says so much happening there, reviews, trailer reactions and live shows uh, and also my podcast, the top 10, the cinephiles and the Geek Buddies talk about film, entertainment, all that kind of stuff. And thank you guys again for having me on because I love this movie. And I do love Zack Snyder and people try to lump him in that group with Michael Bay and he does not belong in that group with Michael Bay this guy is a more sensitive nuanced vulnerable filmmaker than people give him credit for uh, and uh, th- it says something that no one complains about working with Zack Snyder no one and that true. speaks volumes about how good he runs his set how much he respects this female actresses how much he respects people of color how much he respects the things that he's trying to create and make uh, in this world and I think he's unfairly vilified by some critics who see him as a bro director and he's anything but so I just want yeah,
2: to Yeah there's uh- there's a few other directors not uh, not, not quite uh, have the reputation that he does, we'll say, in the DCEU. So um, I, now you all got me excited for season three of The Boys. I cannot wait for that to come out, too. Uh, hey, folks, everybody listening, we still need your emails from for Hook. We want to do a Hook episode. We've gotten some great ones. Um, one fan, Dan Brockway, said that Hook, it's quite possibly Spielberg's greatest film. Wow. All right. Y'all sent us your hot takes. That is yeah, a put it bold
0: take there, Dan. I don't put know it how it that's going to work out, but that is a bold take, sir. Give
2: us a quote. Give us audio. Whatever you want. Email us at RTIsWrong at com. You can also send your mailbags there. RTIsWrong at RottenTomatoes.com. All that good stuff that you do to your favorite podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends. Feel free to do that with Rotten Tomatoes Is Wrong. We certainly appreciate it. Next week, Jacqueline. Big, big episode, because we're not just talking about one movie. No, we're talking about a filmography of.
0: Yes, I want you to know it's Nick Cage. That's like the worst (laughs) Nick Cage impression, but it's the best that I can give. You got to be okay with that because he is a magical man that forgives all.
2: Yeah, well, he's a Beatles super freak, but he still needs a gun. All right, thank you all so much <laughs> to John Roke, our special guest, Jacqueline Coley, producer Lucy, uh, Christian Kaba, and Brian Perez, both helping us out behind the scenes here. The whole family at Rotten Tomatoes. To you and yours, I am Mark Ellis signing off and saying that the S stands for hope because Kryptonians do not win spelling bees.